Hello, listeners. Welcome to Fatal Error. I am Chris Dezombek. And I am Sarish Conlow. And today, uh, we decided to talk about code review. Uh, this is something that probably all of us encounter in our, uh, in our professional lives. And we figured, uh, it, it might be useful to go over, um, what do you want as somebody who's having your code reviewed? What do you look for as someone who's reviewing code? And what are sort of the goals of the code review? Like, why do we do code review? What are the goals of this process? Uh, Sarush, do you, uh, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, for sure. Code review is an interesting thing. To me specifically, I've been in, on a number of teams. I've been in situations where I'm the only programmer, so there's no code review to do. I've been in situations with very rigorous code review in terms of there are basically you sit down and synchronously review the code and like talk it through rather than just leaving comments on GitHub or whatever. I've been in situations where I don't actually write any code on the project. I'm just, um, just code reviewing and just saying, like, hey, I don't know exactly what's going on in the rest of your code base, but that looks wrong to me. Like, let's talk about that part of it. Hmm. And it is, I think, uh, such an important part of making a complex software project that if that you've got to do a good job with it, it's it's really important. Is is what I'm trying to say. Like, what are the so it's important? What are the goals? Like, what are we trying to accomplish with a code review process? So there's, I think two, at least two components. One is to get other people in the project to have some knowledge of the code that you're adding to the project. So they're not surprised when they like see this code, like how did this get here? And two, it's to catch bugs and it's to make sure that styles are maintained and all that stuff. The styles is an interesting question, but primarily to catch bugs. If you can use a linter to catch style stuff, that's better. I would add maybe ensuring that, uh, not just catching bugs and, and, making sure that everyone is kind of on the same page, but making sure that the application ends up with sort of a consistent uh, architecture, right? Right. Sort of the key concepts in the application are uh, are consistent and compatible. Right. I'm, I'm open to the idea that that should happen before you start writing code. Not that I've ever worked on a team that does like legitimate architecture review or anything like that, but I am sure. open to the idea that that's important. So there's the um, Joel Spolsky's 12 Steps to Better Code uh, and it's like, step one, do you use source control? Step two, can you make a build in one step? And one of the things that he doesn't talk about in this is do you do code review? And to me, code review is really, really up there. Hmm. Yeah. In terms of these, like, uh, his, his thing is like, should you accept a job somewhere where they don't pass these tests? Um, and I think code review is one of those things where you should really think about it before you like it should be a component of your of your thought process. It's tough when you're one person. I've been in, I've been in that position to try to figure it out. We had we ended up having a contractor do code review for a little bit. It's also tough to make sure to give really good code review feedback. It's kind of easy to just rubber stamp stuff or just catch. Oh, you know, you have an extra space here, and then just say it looks good to me and ship it. But the the level of things you can catch is actually actually quite deep. So I'm curious to know what your experience is with code review. Sure. So, boy, my experiences with code review. I guess I've had a couple different experiences with code review. At a, a smaller startup that I worked for back uh, back a little while ago at this point, we had a very, really a pretty loose code review process looking mostly for obvious bugs, kind of, uh, does, does the software seem to, like, does the code that you've written work? Uh, and that was, that was pretty much it. Uh, can, at, can this thing ever be nil? <laughs> right. At, at my current company at the Times, uh, we tend to uh, have a much more um, 
It, it's still informal, but a much more in-depth code review process. When people review code, they're looking for all sorts of, of potential issues and problems, and there's a lot more discussion that happens above and beyond. Uh, are there any obvious bugs, and does this uh, does this code more or less work? Right. There is a really good blog post called On Code Review. Uh, this person doesn't have too many blog posts in general, and this is, I'm, this actually may be his only one. Um, but it's really great. His his thesis is pending code reviews represent black threads of execution. If you because context switching is so hard, and because like you can't move forward on a certain um, project without like getting the code review done, right. you should prioritize code review over all of or other people's code review over all of your own work, just because it's so important um, to get done to get like kind of out of the way. Because otherwise, everybody kind of has to have two projects so they can like page into another project, work on that while they wait for their code review. Yeah. So I think this post is really good, and I will put this into the into the blog post uh sorry into the into the show notes so now that we if we can kind of agree that code review is important and you know possibly very important yeah absolutely let's maybe talk about a little bit about tools and processes for doing good code review sure so i mean at, at work right now we uh we use just i mean github as our tooling uh and either one or two people look at all the poor all poor requests before they get merged and uh, the process is still pretty informal. Uh, we do have continuous integration that will check out the branch and run uh, and run the unit tests and the screenshot tests. Uh, and we run uh, Danger CI, which uh, we've mentioned in a previous episode, I'm sure, uh, to check for a few other uh, a few other things that uh, we don't want to get merged into the code base. But um, that's that's kind of what our, our fairly informal process looks like here. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear what sort of processes you've worked with since uh, in consulting, you've worked with uh, many more uh, or at many more places than I have over the past year or two. Yeah. So um, I think GitHub is a really, really great baseline. I've done Bitbucket's code reviews. They're not as good, especially with the new tools that GitHub made where you can like submit all of your comments at once rather than doing like one email per comment, which can be really stressful for the person being reviewed, especially mm-hmm. if it's a big pull request. So, and I've also tried, Atlassian has a product called Crucible where you can kind of pick several commits and say, please review these commits. But I think that the pull request model is much better than the standalone code review model because you can reject a pull request outright uh, whereas you can't really do that with a code review because that code is already kind of in the develop branch you could revert the commits individually but like it's not as good uh and there's also fabricator which i've never used um i've heard mixed things mostly bad about fabricator but i don't know if you've ever used fabricator uh no i've never used it yeah I mean, I think GitHub is a really good baseline. The other, the way to level GitHub up is to do the GitHub pull request in person. And, and basically you have one reviewer and the person who's being reviewed and you sit down together hmm. and you say, okay, let's take a look at your code. And, um, I've, I've worked at a company that calls the synchronous code review. So there'll be like a day of, of asynchronous code review where everybody just kind of gets to leave comments and then you can kind of respond, but that's the more informal part of it. And then the more formal part is like you sit down and like, you know, really, cause you know, like, uh, sometimes when I'm doing code review, I'll look at something and I'll be like, I'll have a thought. And the best thing to do is really to write that thought into a comment because other people have that thought because it'll help you. Like it means that there's something in the code that you don't understand. And Mm -hmm. 
once you write that down, you can kind of get an answer from the person who made it. Say, well, you know, I didn't really love this part either, and it's because of this limitation over here. And then the code reviewer can either respond like, oh, that's an unfortunate limitation, or hey, I know like a workaround for that limitation that's a cleaner than this one. And so if there's something that you don't understand or a question that you have, it's important to raise it. And doing it, doing like a synchronous code review means that those thoughts that you have there's a much smaller barrier to like sharing them with the, with the reviewee and to say like, Oh, like all I have to do is say it out loud and then we can start talking about it. So synchronous code review, while it does take, you know, it, it since it's not asynchronous, you have to really block two people to do it. It's like a yeah. meeting with two people. It can be a little bit more expensive, but the quality of the feedback that comes back is oftentimes better. Interesting. I, I, uh, haven't really done very much of that. And, uh, that sounds like something that it might be good to try. It's almost like pair programming. Right. And and I was just going to say, obviously, I'm remote, but it, like tools that we use for pair programming, like Screen Hero, seem like that would work equally well for uh, for code review. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it gives you, like, I think the remote thing is interesting, too, because it gives you this chance to defend your code without being able to point or type or do anything. You know, you just have to use your words to express why you wrote your code the way that you wrote it. And yeah. so you're kind of on the hook for a better explanation yeah for why you wrote what you wrote yeah and you mentioned a couple of interesting things you mentioned ci you mentioned danger ci and uh we talked about swiftlet a little bit earlier those are there are tools basically right. that you can use to make sure that the code review doesn't have extraneous comments in it that the comments are really really focused so if you find yourself commenting a lot like hey we don't really put colons over there we kind of put the space over here that wastes sort of the bandwidth of the code review. And you can use something like Swiftlet to say like, hey, if you check this in, you better have no warnings because uh, if not, like we're not going to not going to review it because it's not ready yet. Uh, and then having the, like basically having a robot do that also adds to the, since the robot is more impersonal, it doesn't feel as much like the person is being attacked during their code review. If they have a pull request open that gets 20 comments, you know, if they're all style comments, they're small, but they they have they have some cost. They have some load on the person, and putting that into a robot makes it a lot easier and a lot more impersonal to get those things fixed without having to take a toll on the actual, like, so you can get to the meteor issues without taking a toll on the person who is being reviewed. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like these style issues. That's really not. Um... That's not the main goal of a code review, right? And so offloading that to a tool to like automatically enforce these style, style rules, like it frees you up to focus on things that are actually important. Exactly, yeah. And a similar thing um, with CI, where you want to, you want something to download the new code, run the new code, run the test, make sure all the tests are passing, make sure the build completes, and so that you can know if the build is broken before you merge before you merge stuff in. That is also a similarly important thing. Now, I've never used Danger CI. What kind of, what kind of stuff can you get from Danger CI? So Danger CI, uh, a big thing is uh, it runs SwiftLint for us, um, and posts a comment that uh, on the GitHub pull request that like details the, uh, the the details style violations. Nice. Let's see. So other things that are in our uh, file that Danger CI checks, uh, we're using um, Quick for behavior-driven uh, style testing, and so we have a check to make sure that no uh, like focused or exclusive tests have been have been accidentally committed, and that just makes sure that like you don't accidentally uh, like focus to run just one test and then commit uh, a, commit a commit that's accidentally disabling the whole rest of the test suite. 
Right. We uh, so does have, it count the number of tests and make sure like the number of tests doesn't go down? No. So just the way that you focus a test with quick is just add uh, like where normally you would write like uh, it and then a description of what it does and then a block that runs a test. Right. You just change that to f it like f i t. And right. so we just check uh, for any calls to like FIT in the tests and uh, error out if you've added one of those focus tests anywhere. Uh, we have a grep statement in here that checks for misplaced views in uh, nibs and will uh, give you a warning or uh, will fail the build if there are any misplaced views. Nice. Oh, and uh, let's see, we are using, we're, we've extracted our build settings so that they're in XC config files instead of in the Xcode project. And so we have a warning here that will check whether any build settings have been added back to the Xcode project and will give you a warning if uh, if that's happened. Oh, that's cool. And then finally, there's a script here that uh, verifies that the Xcode uh, group structure matches the like project folders, the, the like structure on disk of the project's files and folders. Oh, uh, that's a fun one. I really like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, I've always been kind of split on whether it actually matters whether the Xcode project matches uh, the file system, but the consensus of this team is that the file system should match the Xcode groups, so we have a script to make sure that it's enforced. Right. It kind of doesn't matter that it, because like, the only thing that matters is what's in Xcode, but it's nice to have that consistency in the same way that like it doesn't matter if you have one extra space or like trailing, trailing white space or something like that, but it is right. nice to not have it. Right, it's a style thing. Yeah, exactly. So, so these are the sorts of things that you can have danger CI enforce for you, but that you don't like want to. These aren't the things that are the responsibility of your like human uh, code reviewers. Right, right. In as much as you can offload this to automation, you should offload this to automation. And that's true of many, many things. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I've always wanted uh, something where it will basically alert if you have reduced the number of tests, like. Not that it's wrong to delete a test, but just that, like, if a test accidentally gets deleted or doesn't get run, like, it means maybe, like, um, let's say that the file in Xcode got removed from Xcode, but it's still in the project. Yeah. And so, you know, the file looks like it's there, but those tests aren't being run anymore. Like, I would want to know about that. And, like, it would be nice to have Danger do something, like post something that says, like, hey, you actually, like, lost this test file. Did you, inti- did you intend to do that? I think you could probably do that. I mean, there's a plugin to work with XCOV, or however it's pronounced, like, uh, Xcode's code coverage. And I think that works from, like, a fairly standard, like, JUnit-style test report. And you could probably look at the number of tests that were run. Right. You could probably do something like that. Yeah, that seems worthwhile to me. I would like to set something like that up. So one other thing that uh, that I think is important in code review that we haven't talked about so far is that it's an opportunity for, uh, especially for like more junior members of your team, to uh, like work with and get constructive criticism from and learn from uh, like the the other developers on your team. Uh, like it's a really good opportunity uh, in a healthy team. It's a really good opportunity for like learning and education too. Yeah. So like it's an inherently um, social thing because you're all talking to each other and it's kind of set around the code. So um, is that something that y'all do? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, um, I don't know that we do anything really formal to achieve that, but, uh, I mean, people will, will request code reviews from people who they think may have, um, 
may have more experience with with this area of the code or with this uh, framework, uh, or who they just want constructive criticism from. And I mean that that's a really important function I think that code review achieves. That's maybe not you know it's not necessarily important for for the project so much as it's important for the people whose whose code is being reviewed, right? It's it's an opportunity to uh, to to level up and to continue to learn. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Have you seen people grow from the stuff they learn in code review? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, again, I can't think of a specific example <laughs> offhand, but uh, I mean just. You know, every day, you know, every week, some small thing comes up in code review, and uh, maybe there's a discussion in that code review thread, or we may even like pop out of that and talk about it with the whole team in Slack, and then uh, at the end of it, you know, people have people have learned things, and and that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. One thing that I forgot to bring up in the different styles of code review is group code review. I don't know if you've ever done this. No, I don't think so. Where you basically pull up your code on a projector or on a TV in a conference room, and the whole team kind of gathers around and says, "Like, let's how to, let's talk about this. Let's figure it out." Oh man! On the one hand, it's pretty stressful, but on the other hand, like you will really end up with a better thing, and everybody will actually agree that it's a better thing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're just online, it's easy to just kind of tune it out, and say, "Oh yeah, this is fine. I'm fine with this." Whereas, like if you're all in the room together, you can really have a super productive conversation about the code and the code review. So one th- one other thing, sort of uh, just in terms of the like the social aspects of the team to consider is that uh, it's important that everybody on the team understands uh, that this is supposed to be constructive criticism, right? You're not, uh, you're not here to, to tear each other down. You're here to support each other. And like, you're all working toward the same goal and trying to help each other. Um, and it's important for like, whoever's reviewing a pull request to keep that in mind. Right. And, and be, uh, be, be polite basically. Right. Right. For sure. And, and it's important for the, like the person whose code is being reviewed to also keep that in mind. Like, this isn't personal, right? And if, if it feels personal for people on your team, like that probably indicates a uh, a much deeper problem on your team that you should really deal with. Yeah, the, 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 the foremost thing is that the code review is about the code and not the person who wrote the code. That is tough to internalize for, some, uh, for a lot of people, um, me included, yeah. because it feels like the person who's criticizing, because well, I wrote the code, so like, you know, am I a bad person now? And of course the answer is no, but to mitigate that, the reviewer has to be, I think, very careful about the words they use. I use a lot of question marks and a lot of gentle suggestions. And I'm, I try to be really explicit about like, Hey, I think this is a good idea and I would have done it this way, but of course it has no functional difference or like, this is purely style. Like I'll be really explicit about the Mm -hmm. level of severity of the comment that I'm making. Like, hey, this is just a suggestion. Hey, this is how I would have done it, but your way is fine too. Yeah. Hey, like, this is, like, going to cause a bug in X, Y, and Z ways. Like, let's fix that. Mm-hmm. And being being really clear about, like, when I think something is important, I think helps the other person to know, like, oh, this is just a, a difference of opinion rather than, like, I'm bad. Right. Yeah. So I think that can help a lot. I, yeah. I, um, because I'm a millennial, I phrase a lot of things uh, <laughs> in terms of questions and I add question marks at the end. Like, hey, uh, I think we should do this thing and then add a question mark at the end to, to kind of soften it a little bit. And uh, Or what do you think about X, Y, and Z? 
and it is cheesy, but it does really help the reception of of that code review comment. Ultimately, like it's being read, so you have to use your punctuation and your emojis, the different to- and your wording and your the tools at hand to make it be read the way that you intended it. Was that uh, sorry? Was that a, a question? I, yeah, I, that, that was. I'm, I'm a millennial, so yeah, I, I ended up okay. with a high, high rising terminal. So you thought it was a question, but it was not a question. <laughs> yeah. No. I so. Yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely do the same thing too. I, uh, will often, instead of phrasing something, this is wrong because I mean, I could be wrong too. I'm, I too am human. Um, I'll ask, you know, have, have you considered, uh, have you considered this case? Is this, uh, I don't know if, um, I, I don't know if maybe that makes me come off as more of a jerk, but I, I don't think so. No, it's just, I think being aware of it is usually enough to say like, okay, this person's not trying to be. Uh, an asshole or whatever. Yeah. So the last thing that we should, I think, talk about is what do we look for in code reviews? Like what kind of things are we trying to, are we trying to find and what kind of things like stand out to us as like code smells and red flags? Boy. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, it's such a big topic, right? And I don't know, like, I don't have a comprehensive list. I, I mean, go through, I basically look at the code, look at the diff look at the context where that code right you're not looking just at the code that cha- that's changed you're looking at where it is and how it's being used and think like does this make sense at a high level right like right in swift we don't necessarily have to like check is you know does this thing accept uh a nil parameter or whatever right yeah which is fortunate but but you do look and think okay uh do things that uh do APIs that accept optionals or get or return optionals, does that make sense semantically, right? right. Like, should this be optional here? Uh, look at interface design, right? Look at, look at whether the single responsibility principle is slowly being violated. Look at, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about so far on this podcast are things that you, you look for during code review. Right. right. I also, I, I try not to be really picky about naming because uh, it seems like a fairly, well, that's not entirely true. If it's something like a parameter name or like a variable name internally, I try not to be very picky about naming because that seems like very nitpicky and like reasonable people can disagree on names and neither of us is wrong. Right. Um, I, I will be more picky at looking at names of like types, particularly public types just because they're likely to be more widely used and more widely read. Right. Uh, what what kinds of stuff do you think about? I think about a lot of the stuff that Swift is good at is list programming. And I try to make sure that like things are using the highest level list abstractions that they can. So if something is a for each that adds a bunch of things to an array, that's probably a map. If something is a map and has side effects, that probably should be like a map followed by a for each. Stuff like that. Definitely I look for... Um, I look for long methods that could be broken out into their own types, especially if I can come up with a good mm-hmm. name for it. If I can't, I'll say like, this is a bad pitch for a name, but here's what I would, here's where I would start. And maybe you can try renaming it. So sometimes like extra types that can be pulled out. Uh, I look for things that are written differently than I would have written them. Um, not to say that the way that I write them is the only way to write them, but that they must've had a reason for, or maybe they didn't, and that's worth knowing too, um, mm-hmm. for writing things the way that they did. And that, I mean, can help even if uh, you, you just want to understand uh, why this code is the way it is, right? That's going right, to be helpful exactly. for you in the future. Uh, I'll look for any time that you're dealing with uh, like arrays or anything with ranges, like really consider um, 
and hopefully maybe there's test coverage hopefully there's test coverage but consider is like logic around um ranges with strings and arrays especially with swift strings it's so complicated like is is this code correct right um just because that's something where Uh, I mean, I write errors all the time, and other people do too. And having someone look at it and really consider whether it uh, seems correct is is very useful. For sure. Uh, One nitpicky one I look for is optional strings and optional arrays. Oh, yeah. Like if the thing can be better represented as just an empty array or an empty string for the like nil case. Sometimes it is right for it to be optional or wrapped in some other enum. But if it's not... Like, if it can be represented as an empty array cleanly, then, like, I'll, I'll push for that. Another one that I'll sometimes look for is if there's too much state. Like, if there's... I had one case where there was um, kind of a data source for a table view, and there were three arrays that were being held. It was, like, kind of all of the data, the data being filtered and then sorted by the user's dis- like the distance to some location based on the user's location. And then the data without the user's location, because they might not opt to give you your, their location. So it was like sorted by name. And these three arrays like fell out of sync uh, in a certain case and caused a bug. And so I'll say like, well, you know, these these three things in this case, like maybe could be two things, maybe could be one thing. Anywhere that you have uh, like that you're trying to keep different state in sync, that's often a big code smell. Basically, yeah. Um, as much as you can make it computed, you know that's always going to be correct and not have to be kept in sync manually. Right. Another one that I look for is if there's a, a primitive on a view controller. So if there's like a bool or an int directly on a view controller, uh, it may make sense to like move that to a to a type with more semantic meaning um, or move the code related to it into its own type and give it more powers. Um, and sometimes that can make a lot of sense. Yeah. So I look for stuff like that. There's a lot of little things. I think we could do a whole episode on little things that we look for in code review. Yeah. In fact, if we wanted to do an episode about that, we should plan it ahead of time. And then for the week leading up to the recording, uh, note things that we, uh, all the comments that we make in code reviews. Now that's a good idea. Yeah. But that's about um, everything I have for, for the code review topic. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything much to add. We sort of touched on different styles of code review, the things that you look for in code review, the things that you can automate in code review. And uh, I, we mentioned a little bit about the sort of human and, and social aspects of code review, which I think really are important to keep in mind, especially if, uh, like like with my team, especially when some people are remote, it's it's very important to keep in mind that, that everyone involved in the process is uh, human and is is trying to do their best and that you're here to help each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, as always, Chris, it was a pleasure. And thanks to all the listeners for hanging out and listening to us blather for another 30 minutes. Yeah, uh, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much to our listeners and supporters. We really do appreciate it. And we will talk to you later.